0: This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 1115 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading is from First Kings. At Horeb, the mount of God... Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, You shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahola, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Yehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Yehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word.
1: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, and the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart! It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is really you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Old Testament reading and our Gospel reading this morning, we have the stories of disciples and followers of the Lord who are in deep trouble. We see them in their moment of darkness and doubt and fear. Elijah is fleeing from Queen Jezebel. He is hiding in a cave, fearing for his life. How did he get there? Well, it's a rather interesting story. Queen Jezebel was married to King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. Now, Jezebel was a Phoenician princess who had married Ahab in a political arranged marriage. She was pagan, she was a worshiper of Baal, which was uh, a fertility god and temple prostitution was part of their worship rite. What do you suppose that did for worship attendance? Anyway, uh, uh, Jezebel imports her religion to Israel when she moves in with Ahab, and Ahab embraces her pagan religion of Baal worship. And so together, Jezebel and Ahab, they have all the temples and the altars that have been erected to Yahweh in Samaria torn down, and instead they build temples and altars to Baal. Elijah confronts this, and in a spectacular display of Yahweh's power on the top of Mount Carmel, he challenges the 450 prophets of Baal to a duel. Yahweh sends down a bolt of lightning and a blaze of fire and all 450 prophets of Baal are consumed by fire. Jezebel is in a rage. By the way, this is the only Elijah story that we never read in worship. All the other Elijah stories we read, we don't read this one. Jezebel has put out a hit on Elijah's life saying, I want him dead by tomorrow night. So Elijah flees from the top of Mount Carmel and he flees to the south to the Sinai Peninsula, where we find him in our reading this morning hiding out in a cave at Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. This is where Moses met up with God and received the Ten Commandments. It is the mountain of God's presence. Elijah, while he is in hiding in this mountain, is confronted by God. He experiences God's voice and God's presence. But not usually in the ways that we associate with God. Not with earthquake, not with wind, and not with fire. God comes to Elijah in his loneliness and fear through the sound of sheer silence. And God asks Elijah, and he is not pleased. He is rather perturbed when he asks Elijah this. He says, what are you doing here? Elijah answers with a poor me sort of story. I'm all alone, and there are those who are trying to kill me. And God says to Elijah, you're not either alone. There are 7,000 people back there who are still faithful, and they need you. You're not alone. I'm with you. And this is what I want you to do. Go back to the wilderness of Damascus, and I want you to anoint Hazael as king. I want you to anoint Jehu as king. Now that's a pretty risky thing to do because there are already two other kings in place, Ahab being one of them. So when he goes back and he tells those two kings they're about to be replaced, then God says to him, and you're not going to be long for this world either. You, after you do this, you better get your own replacement lined up and that'll be Elisha. He can take over for you. God asked Elijah to do some pretty incredible and risky things. In our gospel reading, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people. That was last week's gospel reading, but since we haven't been reading continuously through Matthew, we pick up where last week's story left off. It's the evening of that same day. Jesus sends the people away. And he instructs his disciples to get into the boat and meet him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now keep in mind, darkness is setting in. It's evening. And those fishermen know a storm is about to come up. And then Jesus goes off in solitude to pray. A storm and strong wind come up, blowing the disciples way, way out into the Sea of Galilee. As Matthew records in our reading, the wind was against them. They were battered by the waves, far from land. It was the dark of night. Jesus comes to them in their fear and panic, walking on the sea in the midst of the storm. The disciples think they're seeing a ghost. Well, why wouldn't you think that? Who, who would expect to see somebody walking on the water in the middle of the sea. But Jesus assures them that it's not a vision that they're seeing, that it is him. And he says, don't be afraid. And then Peter says something really, really strange. Peter still doesn't believe that it's the Lord. Peter thinks that he is seeing a vision. So he's testing the Lord, and he says, okay, if it is you, Call me to come to you out on the water. And even stranger still is Jesus' response. He doesn't say, Peter, are you nuts? You stay right there in the boat. I'm coming to you. No. Jesus commands Peter to come to him. Come, he says he orders him out of the boat in the middle of the storm now what sane person would do that and even more what sane person would respond and do it i got to tell you i find both of these stories this morning from first kings and our gospel i find them rather disturbing We look for a comforting God, especially when we are in life's storms. We sing hymns like, Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, or Jesus calls us o'er the tumult. I didn't think he was calling us into the tumult. I didn't think he was asking us to risk life and limb. But Jesus commands Peter to abandon the boat. He commands Jesus to leave reason behind. Leave the safety, what little safety he was experiencing, and come to him in the raging sea. And God, instead of patting Elijah on the back and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. I am so proud of you. Take a break. Let things cool down up north before you head back. I don't want to lose you. He says to Elijah, What are you doing here, Elijah? Get back to work. You're not done yet. There are 7,000 people back there who still need you. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Go lead them. Your job is not finished. And get this, Elijah does it. Elijah obeyed the Lord. He went back, and he confronted his adversaries doing some pretty risky things. Peter abandoned the safety of the boat and obeyed Jesus. And yeah, there were some fearful moments. Peter almost sank, but he didn't. Jesus wouldn't let him. He held out his hand which Peter took and ushered him to safety. Their trust and their obedience, even in the midst of their doubt and dark moments and worst fears, they were rewarded by God's presence and help. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is having trust and being obedient in the midst of all that fear and doubt. You see, doubt and fear and storms, well, that's where we encounter God. And God is not there patting us on the back saying, oh, everything's going to be all right. He's not aiding our pity party as we say, poor me. God is saying, what are you doing here? huddled in the safety of your boat. What are you doing here, hiding out in a cave, preserving your life? I've got work for you to do. I've got things for you to do. You've heard me say it before, and I'm saying it again. We are not in the business of self-preservation. to put it quite bluntly in today's terms we're on the business of building walls to protect ourselves and to protect our stuff we are to build bridges not so others can get to us we are to build bridges so that we can get to them with the love and the presence of Christ we're in the business of giving our lives for the sake of the gospel for the sake of others Trust me, says Jesus, get out of the boat. Peter obeyed, Elijah obeyed, at the risk of health and comfort and limb and life. The question becomes, how about us? If we're looking for quiet and comfort in the midst of the storms of life, then I dare say we may be a bit surprised by these readings this morning. Allow me to digress digress for a moment. I knew a young man in one of my former parishes who attended an Ivy League school, Cornell. He graduated tops in his class in business and uh, with high honors. What did he do after graduation? Well, he had all sorts of prestigious firms wooing him. But he gave the next three years of his life to a program called Teach America, working among the poorest of the poor, immigrant workers in South Texas. Why would he do this at age 22? Why would he walk into such a storm, leaving the safety of a very promising and lucrative career? He answers me. He says, I have been... At the receiving end, my whole life, Pastor, and now it is time for me to give back. God is calling me to do this. I know another woman well in her retired years. She happened to be on our church staff. Her husband had died, leaving her comfortably well off. She could travel, she could relax, she could enjoy a life of leisure. What did she do? She ran our church's food pantry and clothing bank and literacy school and our social ministry office, volunteering her time 40 hours a week, never taking time off for a vacation. Why would she do that? She could have easily said, I've done my part. It's time for someone else to step up. No, she says, God's calling me to do this. I know any number of people who are comfortably well off in their retirement years. They could easily spend their time and their money on themselves, living a life of travel and leisure. But what are they doing? They're running food pantries, they're serving on the board of directors of any number of charitable institutions, they're serving people in their communities. There's a couple from one of my former parishes that live here in Columbus in their retirement years. They are helping establish two charter schools here in Columbus because it's important to him that kids that just couldn't make it in public school had a place to be educated. He's spending a good portion of his fortune doing that. All of these people could spend a whole lot more time and money on themselves But instead, they're sharing generously to help others, even sacrificially. And why are they doing this? I think we know why. God calls us to. God expects us to. God asks difficult things of us, even in the midst of some of the stormiest times in our life. God calls us to get out of the boat, to walk out into the storm, To hold his hand, he will not let us sink. He will reward us with his presence. God sends us from our caves, accompanying us, aiding us to accomplish difficult tasks of ministry that have been assigned to us. We do not do this alone. We do not step out into the turbulent sea without Jesus. Jesus is calling us to step out of the boat. Our Lord is saying, Leave the cave, stop preserving yourselves. Risk it all, even in the midst of great fear and doubt. It is I. Do not be afraid, says Jesus. And then he says, Step forth, I'm with you. What's our response? Amen.